Metallica. Here they come, the kings of metal. Guys, I'm right here, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Melody Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. I had to do it. I had to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was inevitable, man. It had to happen. I sprung. I sprung that on Ethan about ten seconds before it's, we started recording. It's true. <laughs> the good news is, I think actually putting that clip in is going to end the whole bit of me saying I'm Kid Rock, which I'm sure a very small percentage of our audience found hilarious. But here's the deal: I found it funny. I found it funny too. I mean, as our intro was playing and I was ready to say "Welcome to Mel Up Your Podcast," I had my thumb over that button and I was trying not to laugh because I knew what was coming. <laughs> well, I'm not Kid Rock. I'm Clint Wells. Good to be here with you. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. You'll have to excuse my voice and my medicine head. I've had strep throat the last three days. Oh, damn! Which has really laid me on my ass. I don't know if you've had strep throat as an adult, but um, it's brutal. It's been a long time, but yeah, it is brutal. Um, I feel for you. Um, on a positive note, you sound real sexy right now. Oh, well, thank God. Maybe that's why my wife won't quit having sex with me while I'm sick with strep throat. That's probably, that's that's why the song you turned in this week sounded like Barry White. So It's like every time I swallow, it feels like I'm swallowing glass. Yeah, so there's that. That's the worst. Intense body fatigue and ache. And then the medicine is giving me medicine head. So that's kind of how we're rolling into this episode. This is episode 324, the M72, what I'm calling the tour wish list. And this was Ethan's idea last week or a few weeks ago. We're going to talk about the songs we want to see on this upcoming tour. No repeat, double nights. We're going to burn down a list later, right? Hell yeah, we are. Like a top ten, basically. Yeah, and I I don't know what you did. Uh, we'll start with you, and then we'll finish with me. But I mostly pick songs that are possible. Same. I didn't pick, like, you know, Crash Course in Brain Surgery or Escape or, you know, Astronomy. I picked mostly songs that are, like, within the realm of possibility. Yes, totally. I think there's maybe only one on my list that maybe teeters on that fence a little bit of not being possible, but it could happen, I guess. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we are an all-Metallica podcast. What year, We're on year seven. I'm so bad at that. We started, We yeah, we celebrated our sixth anniversary, and we we're starting year seven. So we're into year seven. So, all right, we're on seven years. We're talking about Metallica every Monday, despite uh, our busy touring schedules. I mean, and we've really made it work this whole time. I'm really proud of the fact that we've been consistent with the podcast. And uh, we talk about everything, everything about Metallica. Yeah, if ever you question yourself or question us, like, but do you guys talk about this? We've probably talked about it, just so you know. There's something coming up in the emails where someone asks us if we're going to cover something, and I'm like, did we already do that? I mean, I really <laughs> don't know if we've already I have it. to go back and look in my podcast app sometimes, if whether it's an email or Discord or whatever. Hey, have you guys ever talked about this? I'm like, I don't know. I Maybe. So I have to go back and remind myself. 
what we're going to do at the top here, what we've been calling the housekeeping section, where we clear away the debris of the week. We read emails, we we catch up on some news, we thank some new patrons, etc. Now, our boy Dave Mustaine has stepped in, has stepped in the the turd again, stepped in the the cow patty again, if you will. <laughs> and I got to tell all you Megadeth fans out there, I mean, this is just what you're in for. This guy's not going to change. He's mm-hmm. shown you who he's been his entire career. And believe me, I don't want to talk about Dave Mustaine. I think he's a shithead. In fact, my notes start with news. Number one, Mustaine is a shithead. Yeah. But my job every Monday is to talk about Metallica because they're my favorite metal band of all time. Right. And he keeps dragging himself. He's trying to drag himself into the Metallica narrative. I'm proud of my boys because my boys tend to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they stay out of the stink for sure. And I think Mustaine's, he's not unintelligent. He's got some blind spots, I think, in his <laughs> his logic and in yeah. his thinking. Yes. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to goad our boys into some sort of media battle because it's going to bring press to him. It's going to bring press to his new album, which, by the way, anytime people like sort of coincidentally or secondarily mention his new album, they always talk about how good it is. Yeah. And it's like, and I haven't checked it out. I'm not a fan. Right. But it's like, dude, it sounds like by all accounts, you made a good Megadeth album. Yeah. Why Why don't you just talk about that, dum-dum? I know, exactly. And and like I've said before in the past, too, like whoever his publicist is setting up these interviews, all these whatever press things he's doing, they could easily say, hey, no Metallica questions. But I don't think, I don't think Dave has ever requested that. I think he acts like <clears throat> he's annoyed by it and then goes into these long rants, which we're going to cover in a second. I think he likes to leave it open. And if they ask, he's going to answer. I think it's even deeper than that. I think he's obsessed with Metallica. And I think so much of his personal identity is wrapped up in the Metallica part of his life, which lasted, what, 13 months? Yeah. Over 40 years ago. It's, he's just so invested in it. I, I submit to you all that every Megadeth record was made to please Daddy 1 and Daddy 2, which is James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. Right. So when you have a man whose entire career has been built trying to please his surrogate fathers, yeah, he's obsessed with it. And I, I think it's sad for you guys. I don't pity you. I'm not saying I pity you guys. I just think it's sad that these records that you all love were born out of such a weak spot. Yeah. Out of just... I want to please my daddy number one and daddy number two. Mm-hmm. And I hope he hears this and I hope he takes offense to it. Let me read the article. I want to hear what you think. And then yep. I'm, I, have, I have a lot to say about it. All right. In a new interview with Guitar World Magazine, David Stain was asked how he views the perceived competition between Megadeth and his former band Metallica. The Megadeth leader responded, In my mind, there's no competition between Megadeth and Metallica. We're different bands, which so far, so good. Yeah. Like, if he would have just stopped there... This would have been great. Yeah, we haven't hit black ice yet. We're about to hit the black ice, and it's going to be black ice from here on out. Yeah. We're different bands, and I and I believe Megadeth has been more consistent. But the sad thing is that the drama between us has been more popular than the music ever was. Not in Metallica's case, baby. Right. <laughs> I mean, let's just... <laughs> I was going to try to get through this without my internal monologue, but maybe more popular than Megadeth's music, sure. But definitely not more popular than Metallica's music. Yeah, definitely not. Everyone's bored. I was reading the, uh, the Megadeth like Reddit about this because i'm like well what are they saying you know and even the megadeth fans are just so bored by it they're just so embarrassed and bored they really are yeah he goes on to say remember metallica got a big head start did they did they get a big head start with no life to leather (laughs) exactly metallica got a big head start and they did so on the back of what i helped create all right kind of kind of true yeah, partially. Yes, he wrote he wrote stuff that ended up on Kill 'Em All and a little bit on Lightning. But if we're talking about a start, yeah, sure, a little bit on there. They became one of the biggest bands in the world, and here's one of the biggest bands wasting their breath trying to discredit me by saying Dave's not a good guitar player. 
excuse me, what the fuck did you say? And then apparently he laughed. I think I wrote many of the songs that made you famous, so you probably should recheck that bullshit statement. But this is the shit those guys say, and you've got the sheep who follow them around believing it. So I I had never really seen them say that about him. same. And I was curious, and I went digging, and I did find something where Lars made a comment about it. In 1985... Was it that verbatim? Was it Dave's not a good guitar player? I mean, so if you, I, I found, oh my gosh, I wish I had saved it so I could credit it. It's not that big a deal. You can find it. Just Google this shit. But yeah. someone did basically a timeline of like the the drama between Megadeth and, and Metallica. And it, it does a whole timeline. Like, you know, Lars puts an ad in the recycler. Rama Govney shows, it does the whole thing. Dave yeah. joins the band. Dave's apartment gets raided so he gets two dogs he takes one of the dogs to the metalla mansion james kicks one of the dogs dave and james get into a fist fight he's summarily fired according to ron mcgovney's words crying to be back in the like it goes through the whole thing right mm-hmm. all right fast forward to they there he wake dave wakes up in a drunken hungover haze they're handing him a greyhound ticket back home from new york back to san francisco bye unceremoniously fired they hire kirk hammett Mustaine starts Megadeth, right? And then it gets into, it's not long before they're kind of taking swipes in the press. Yeah. Like, whatever, the metal press. And there was some shit thrown around where it was, I got to say, honestly, this isn't just me sucking, you know, sucking up to my boys, but most of the barbs were about his drinking problems. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think James had a comment in the press that was like, well, his mood is is equivalent to whatever his alcohol, like, blood alcohol level is. It's yeah. like shit like that. Right. And then there was a comment of Lars saying something about, his guitar playing. So almost 40 years ago, he, he says this one thing in 1985 and Dave's still harping on that. After know? 1985, there's not a lot, yeah. not a lot of bad shit. In fact, the evidence kind of shows that, you know, Megadeth came out and opened for Metallica in the nineties. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously the big four stuff, they put him in the documentary and let him bitch and moan. And then he's upset about how he was portrayed in the documentary. They bring him out to the 30th anniversary shows, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I've really got to say, like, you will not find much of our boys getting in because it's beneath them. It's beneath them. Yeah, they don't need to do that. They don't need the press to to escalate the drama that Dave's already started. It's just sad, right? Okay, so... Uh, so I looked that up, and yeah, it's from an, uh, an interview in 1985. Someone shitting on his guitar playing. Asked who he thinks is at fault for perpetuating the issues, Mustaine says, The issue is that people don't know their history and take sides. I never wanted to take sides. I wanted things to be reconciled, and I wanted to be friends. But for whatever reason, they didn't. I wonder, Dave. <laughs> and Metallica's represented by the same agent as Megadeth, and I've asked our agent, you're Metallica's agent too, why won't those guys play with us? What are they afraid of? And they've confirmed they're going out this summer with Five Finger Death Punch and the Pantera thing. So it's clearly about the money. The fact is simple. The world wants to see Megadeth and Metallica play together, which maybe they do. As a, as a Metallica and Megadeth fan, sure, I'd like to see that show. But I'm not like chomping at the bits to see it. You know, like, yeah, it'd be fun to see them open for Metallica. But like, I really just want to see Metallica. He says, and in case anyone's wondering, there's fucking money in that. The fans want to see Metallica and Megadeth share the stage. Does Megadeth need Metallica? No. But Metallica talks about their fans, but they don't give them what they've been asking for. What are they afraid of? I don't know. It's not me. It's them. It's like, dude, it is you. <laughs> it's totally you. And I've got to tell you, as a lifelong Metallica fan, is I, I'll, I'll hold my credentials up to anyone in the fucking world. And I don't like Megadeth. I never did. I don't necessarily want to see that show. And Metallica is just one of those bands, and they frankly have been probably since the corrosion of conformity opening slot on the poor retouring me tour. 
they've been a band that no one cares about the openers anymore. Mm-hmm. People go to see Metallica. Yes. I'll sit through all of it. I'll sit through Gohira. I'll sit through Avenged Sevenfold. I'll sit through uh, Volbeat. And it's fine. No problem. Uh, Five Finger Death Punch. All right. They're cool. This new, you know, Pet Cemetery Pantera, Zombie Pantera. Fine. Yeah. But everyone's going to see Metallica. I don't think Megadeth's going to change the dial or move the needle that much. And I think that Metallica proved that they don't really need an opener when they did an entire arena tour with a comedian opening. Yeah, and I I was was kind of just getting back into the Megadeth thing, Metallica thing, just because of this new article, which I just hate that it kind of works. It gets people talking about him. Yeah. You know, he's even talking about how he didn't think that the the big four of the slots made sense because basically complaining that Metallica headlined those shows. Oh, okay. And I'm like, dude, what world... In what world would Metallica ever co-headline or, God forbid, open for you? Yeah, for real. And, like, you see Ellison, and this might honestly, man, this might even be one of the reasons Ellison got bounced. Because Ellison, Ellison had a very big personal scandal that happened to happen during a Me Too-ish type time. Right. And then he was just fucking bounced, <laughs> like, thrown out like a piece of trash. Yeah. But Ellison kind of always gave it up for Metallica in the press. And I bet that was a big problem in the band. Absolutely. Because Ellison kind of came out and about the big four shows. You can watch that behind the scenes. He's always in the behind the scenes. Yeah. And he's always saying things like, man, this is an amazing thing. Thank you to Metallica for inviting us. Of course, they're headlining. Who else is going to headline this? No one. Like I could see Dave being butthurt about maybe uh, Slayer playing after them. Maybe that, that slot yeah. gets flip-flopped, you know, because I, yeah. I haven't looked up who sold more records or who has more, you know, sells more tickets or whatever, but... Maybe that's it, but like, yeah, to swap spots with Metallica, like. Eh. Mustaine also talked about his influence over Metallica, saying, "In the early days, I was the only guitar player in the band, and I wrote some of the songs that ended up on their earlier records." Okay, these are all just facts. So, for a guy who quote unquote couldn't play guitar, I sure did fucking influence things. I just think that's he's getting that all wrong already. Yeah, like yeah, James was gonna, was the singer. They were con- they were a confused new band. Yeah, that's what happens when you start a band. And Dave was, the, Dave was a better guitar player. Yeah. That's fine. Okay, let me finish reading this. Okay. The only reason James even played guitar early on was that we couldn't find anyone else. So who was it that couldn't play guitar? We had one guy named Brad Parker, whose real name was Damian Phillips. This is all info I've never heard before, by the Same, way. Same, yeah. He showed up and had an oversized feather earring. We did one show, and that was the end of him. And that was why we ended up having James play guitar. There was no other reason. Also, early on, James was terrified to talk to the crowd, and I would look at him and say, talk, man, get up there and fucking talk. But James didn't do it. He stayed in the background, and he's the fucking singer. So I, the guy who can't play guitar, went up to the mic and started talking. That's how it was until I left. James only started talking to the audience after I left. He had no choice. You can hear it on the tapes from the shows we did in San Francisco with the Waldorf and the Stone. I did all the talking, and most of what I said on stage were things James would then copy after I left. So how do I view my influence on Metallica? It's pretty fucking deep. It's pretty deep. He keeps bringing up the quote-unquote guy who can't play guitar thing like on and on as if as if this was just said by james or lars yesterday you know it's like dude this was in 1985 man and yeah we've all seen the footage of you guys playing these early shows and you're on the mic talking talking about whatever gibberish you were doing up there you know and it, it you start a band and you start playing shows it takes time for your singer to get comfortable to start working the crowd start saying some stuff you know these people want to hear what you have to say and that it's it's rare for a, a front man to just get up there on show number one and just absolutely destroy it. Well, and I seem to remember that story being that he broke a fucking string, like song two, and then it took him like a fucking 20 minutes to change his string. Yeah. That kind of sounds like a, a green dumbass to me, too. Yeah, I think that was their first show. 
Yeah, Anaheim. He broke a string and couldn't and didn't have a backup guitar and took forever to change his string. Yeah, and yeah, James was like a James is like painfully shy, and James had to grow into what he became. And it's like weird. It's like you're trying to take credit for it. It's like, dude, watching Megadeth perform is like watching. It's like watching a kid in high school who's in, who's ashamed to play or something. Head down. You know what I mean? Dave yeah. Mustaine is not a good performer. I've never seen him be a good performer. And this is also the same guy that within the last two years, like his banter from stage is talking shit on the band on the other stage that's making a little bit of noise, and he gets all butthurt about it, or firing a tech from stage. Yeah, he's calling his monitor engineer a pussy or whatever. Yeah. It's like, dude, you suck. You fucking suck, dude. And you know you suck, and you hate yourself, and that's why you continue to drum up all this shit, because you want to please daddy one and daddy two. Yeah. And it's like, all right, let's talk about the work. Let's talk. You're like, I, I played their most popular songs I played on. Okay, well, first of all, that's not true. I don't think you played on anything on the Black Album or Master of Puppets, although he claims you were at Lipper Messiah, but right. he's full of shit. So let's talk about what we know is true. Okay, Four Horsemen, pretty good. But when you wrote it, it was called The Mechanics, and The Mechanics lyrics suck. Yeah, and it's way too fast, too. They're horrible. They're they're childish, stupid bullshit. Okay, what else did you do? Jump in the Fire? That's not in danger of being Metallica's best song by a mile. Mm-hmm. What else did you do? No Remorse, pretty good. Still a deep cut from their first album. Yeah. What else did you do? Oh, Metal Militia? One of their worst songs. Yeah. Sorry, it's thrashy, but in no danger of being in the conversation whatsoever of even their 50 best songs. Yeah. So then what do we have? Okay, we have a co-write on Ride the Lightning, which admittedly is a fucking banker. But who knows what his part was? And then we have Call of Cthulhu, which was called When Hell Freezes Over. Yeah. So there you have it. There's there's what he did for the band. Yeah. His most popular contribution is some riff in Ride the Lightning, some nebulous riff, which is fine. But he did write the music to Four Horsemen, which is pretty fucking awesome. But his lyrics sucked. Yeah, they were bad. Real bad. And, I mean, if we're going to talk about Kill Em All and, like, what song ended up, you know, lasting the test of time that they play every fucking show, it's not a song he wrote. It's a song called Seek and Destroy. It's Seek and Destroy or it's Hit the Lights or it's Whiplash. Yeah. They're not playing Cthulhu at every single show. No. You know, they're, they're doing Creeping Death and Fade to Black and Bells. So he's obsessed. I mean, this isn't going to stop. He's obsessed with this, and he, I think he's going to, you know, in his, as we've, we're all getting older, but he's quite a bit older than us, he's just going to keep sinking his teeth into it. You know, there's a really great quote by an author I love named David Shields, and he says that anything that passes through memory becomes fiction. Right. And so D- Dave's version of it in his memory is going to continue to be rewritten by him to make him the star of it, make him the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and really all Metallica has to do, and I think this is what they're smart to do it, is just sit back and let him... Let him fucking bury himself. Yeah, that's exactly what they need to do. It's the right move. That's what they've done for years. I mean, in you know, since 1985, you'll only really hear them complimenting Dave Mustaine on his guitar playing, his songwriting, yeah. the albums he puts out. Even we just covered the last episode or the last show, the 40th anniversary shows or 30th anniversary shows, excuse me. James's intro to him was like glowing. It's like he paved his own trail, you know, all this stuff. Like it's like, dude, like I mean, if if Metallica all of a sudden is like, okay, Dave, okay, okay. You know, let's do a couple of shows where where we play together. You think Dave's going to shut up after that? No. It's lame. It's super lame. It's lame. And the, what Metallica has that Dave doesn't have, I mean, they both write fast, good, thrashy stuff. I mean, Megadeth is definitely a household name of thrash metal, blah, blah, blah. But here's what Metallica has that, that Dave doesn't have. And I'm not even going to talk about music. It's class. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you go look at all the all the Megadeth fans, you know, you'll always find one or two of these dumbasses that, that think Dave's right about it. But for the most part, Megadeth fans are embarrassed. Yeah, they are. I mean, even this morning, I was looking through the comments on the Metal Injection posted about it, and every comment was like, oh, my God, this is so old. Why does he – and these are probably Megadeth fans. Yeah. I'm a Megadeth fan. I think the same exact thing. I'm like, Jesus, this sucks to be a Megadeth fan. He's never going to change, you know. 
And I listen to Megadeth less and less over the years, but still, man, it's like, dude, like you've done some amazing work in your career and sold a lot of fucking records that I will never come close to selling. Like, dude, be grateful for that. Like, you, you are a pioneer in this genre. Like, no one's questioning that. So, well, it's wasted on him. It's squandered. Totally wasted. Because he's because he's psychologically like really, really deeply wounded and obsessed with them. Yeah. And I just don't see it changing. Nah, I don't at all. Not at all. And there's that. And until next time, until, you know, I wish we had like a sound of the turd being squeezed into the punch bowl <laughs> of the party we're trying to throw, trying to just celebrate music. But he'll just try to shit in it as long as he can get his little pants down. Well, I'm going to take note of that, that I need to at least load a really sweet fart sound into the machine so we can have that on hand. Everyone's having a good time. Everyone's getting older. Everyone's forgiving each other. Everyone's letting bygones be bygones. And then it's, it's all of a sudden, it's like just you smell stink. And everyone's going, what happened? Who who shit in the corner at the party? And then it's Mustaine. It's yeah. just him. Yep, exactly. You know, he just can't land it. He can't no, do it. He, he can't forgive. He can't trust. And now he's probably incapable of just feeling happy. He definitely can't just be proud of what he did. He can't take care of his fans the way that James, I think, sometimes unreasonably tries to take care of his fans. Mm -hmm. He obviously doesn't care about his fans. He never talks about his fans. Yeah. He never talks about his bandmates because he doesn't really have any because it's been a 500-person revolving door of bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Because he's, he, he's been a drug-addled, fucking shit-talking asshole. Yeah. Period. Period. He doesn't inspire anyone to rally around him. Mm, nope, not at all. And you look at his work and you're like, I don't know what his work means. High speed dirt, foreclosure of a dream, time yeah. the beginning. Like he, there's no there's no revelations about who he is in his music. Yeah. He's not warm, he's not interesting, and he's not smart. It's a shame, dude. It really is a shame. It's sad. I really don't see what's likable about any of it. But all right, whatever. Yeah. But 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 I'm but I, I respect all you Megadeth fans out there. And again, I feel for you. Feel for you. I think the closest I can come to that is I get embarrassed by Kiss by some of the things that they do. Yeah, but honestly, sure. Mustaine makes Kiss look like fucking Jesus Christ. I know, exactly, exactly. I mean, can you imagine if it's just like Ace Freely spent the last, I, I don't know the exact amount of years he's been out of the band, but can you imagine him just in every interview just like taking shots every single time? Well, you know what's crazy about Kiss is like the biggest fuck-ups in the band were Peter and Ace. They were drug-addled and they were fuck-ups, right? Yeah. Me and my, my boy Kevin talk about this all the time because he's an OG Kiss guy. Back, he saw the Dynasty tour. Yeah. And he was Rodney. He's Rodney's drummer. So me and him have right. logged a lot of hours together. He's my, he's my homeboy forever. And we talk about this all the time. They're like, man, as big of fuck-ups as they were, Ace and Peter are always the favorites. It was, it was Mommy and Daddy, Paul and Gene, who were sober – who kind of kept everything on track, yeah. but but really made a lot of poor choices and make the band look like dorks. Ace and Peter are making like dumb decisions and they're drunk on TV and stuff, but they were always the coolest. They had the most swagger. They were the most <laughs> right. likable and warm because they were almost like kids that you just, they had instruments and they just, they were just childlike, like Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah, for They sure. just never grew up, but it wasn't in a shitty mean way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Ace would get drunk and want... Kind of the way I get when I'm drunk. I just want to buy everyone a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Dave gets drunk and obviously becomes, by his own words and his own biography, like destructive, mean, vengeful, hard to control, mm -hmm. picking fights, you know? Yeah, it's not someone you want to have around at all. It's, I mean, the, no. Metallica always and forever made the right call, for sure. No, I don't think anyone yeah. can question that. I mean, there's over I'm, 150 years ago. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there's some Megadeth fan out there like, dude, they should have never fired him, blah, 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 whatever. 
they should have and they did and they moved on and that's why they're the great band they are today well there we go we've we've addressed it um <laughs> shout out to we've got a lot of people that wrote in that wanted us to respond to this and it's not just me picking on old dave right these are just the we hey you read the facts in his words, and we've responded to them. He brings his doo doo to my doorstep, and I got to clean it up, unfortunately. Yeah, and I hope he, I hope he hears all this. I really do. All right, we want to thank a couple of new patrons, Matt Burke and Brian Gibbons. Thank you guys. All right, thank you so much. You get a lot of things over there on the Patreon train, on the Choo Choo train, but at the very least, you get a shout out on the show, immortalized on Metal Up Your Podcast. Absolutely. After a fairly epic uh, Mustaine rant, I must add. So that's that's an extra special shout out. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, real quick, speaking of Patreon, uh, I want to do a quick Metal Tales update because we're filling in those slots really fast. If you don't know what Metal Tales is by now, I can't believe it. If you're a patron, it's your opportunity to come on the show, talk to me or Clint, and walk us through your Metallica story, walk us through the show you've seen. So the M72 tour, we have a list going. It is filling up real fast. So I went in this morning, and I want to read off what is left, which is not a lot. Amsterdam, both nights. Paris, night two, Gothenburg, both nights, Detroit, night two, Munich, both nights, Helsinki, both nights, Warsaw, night two, Edmonton, both nights, Edmonton, and Seattle, both nights, and that's it. All right, so you heard it. If you are going to any of those shows and you are a patron or considering becoming a patron, sign up, get your name on the list. Someone was asking just today, they were like, how does it work? How does it work? Let me tell you guys real quick how that works. One or two days after the show, we're going to get a hold of you, and we're going to try to set up a time. It's usually about an hour. Mm Mm-hmm. All you need is a free Skype account, the Skype app, be in a quiet room with headphones on. We will do the rest, baby. Yes, easy, easy peasy, right? And people say, well, I'm scared. I don't know how to, all you do is talk. All you do is talk. Me and, because we're daddy one and daddy two over here in Metal right. Podcast Land. And uh, much like James and Lars, working it out in the dungeon, putting load and reload together in the dungeon, coming up with that, that's James. Yeah. And by the way, that working title of that song, Load. Load. Where the album comes from. But like us in the dungeon in 94 and 95, we are putting together what will become Load and Reload probably our greatest alternative masterpieces with the metal tales that's We're gonna right do all of that with you i mean does that make us heroes i don't know what does enrique think I can be your hero, baby. thank you enrique i think enrique feels it is what i think i can feel it i can feel it <laughs> Never let's hear so. the let's hear the long one. Oh, the long one no problem oh, how summer nights. I can, feel it. can you feel it I can he feels oh, it. He totally does. Confirmed. It's that second time when you're like, he really, I think he really is feeling it. Yeah. He's like, one time is I'm letting them know, but I don't know if everyone heard me quite, quite right. So I'm going to raise my voice up in volume and pitch and really tell him I can feel it. Well, my friend Bob talks about when bands scare you because of how convicted they are. He talks about when he saw Jane's Addiction on the uh, Nothing Shock- Shocking Tour. Yeah. It was like a big club, but like it was a club and there was just a single spotlight and Perry Farrell came out, single spotlight silhouette. And he had a bottle of wine. He tipped it over and he drank an entire bottle of wine. <laughs> and then they started the first song. Damn. And he talks about how it's, he was scared because yeah. he knew he was in the presence of someone who did not give a fuck. Yeah. My version of that was when I was in the front row of the snake pit with Brad Blazik and James came out and was doing hardwired and he had his eyes closed and I could just tell he really meant it. And it scared me in a way. Yeah, for sure. And I think that when Hot Summer Nights did, when he said he could feel it, everyone in the room was like, all right, he feels it. That's cool. We're doing something cool. When he said it that second time, the hairs on the back of their neck stood up and they were like, holy shit, I'm scared now. I'm scared now. And if you need a reminder, I can feel it. I can feel it. He let you know twice. 
Yeah, he's not fucking around. Easiest way to get a hold of us, and one of my favorite parts of the show is when we check into the email corner, we check in on the Metal Up Your Podcast community, we usually read about five or six of these emails, and we're going to do that now. You can write in show at gmail.com, and from your brain into our mouths, we will read your thoughts on the show, and we will talk about whatever the fuck you want, as long as it's something we're interested in. I'm going to do that right now, what we lovingly refer to as the email corner. Let's go. Okay, our first email is from our good friend Zach Burkhalter. He says, greetings, friends. It's been a while since I sent in an email to the show, and I have a story that might interest be of interest to you two. I was recently at, war, at a work event where I met a guy who had previously lived in San Francisco for 20 years. He and I got to talking, and he mentions that he used to be re- really involved in the music scene there, and without me even mentioning Metallica, he tells me that he has a friend that used to work for Lars in the late 90, 90s, early 2000s. So at this point, that I pull up a chair and tell him that he's, he, that he's not going anywhere anytime soon. He shared a few tidbits with me, but what was crazy is a story he had about a brief run-in with James. The friend that worked for Lars got him and his wife backstage for the San Francisco gig in the summer of 2000. Him and his wife were hanging out uh, and then went to go get something from catering just a few feet away. Right then, James comes in around the corner and goes up to his wife, clearly thinking she's someone else that works for the band, and says, Hey, where's Jason? I need to talk to him. (laughs) Not only does his wife not know who Jason was, she has no idea who this guy is standing in front of her. The guy telling me this story said he was just a few feet away, but said the interaction was so awkward and hilarious that he just let it play out instead of going over there. After James walked away, he went back over to his wife and told her who, who that was. I thought the story was really funny, but also morbid. Uh, Maybe James just needed to uh, tell him they were opening with Creep, or maybe this guy witnessed a really interesting peek behind the curtain of a turbulent time that was about to get a lot worse since this would have been when Jason was starting to pull away. The guy telling me the story was, by his own admission, not a huge Metallica fan, so I don't think he realizes what he might have seen. Uh, I think it's only logical to assume that James, in that moment, decided Echo Brain could release their album, but since, but since he didn't find Jason in time, he changed his mind. Therefore, the guy and his wife are solely responsible for Jason Newstead leaving Metallica. Uh, it was an interesting conversation, and I was pretty blown away by it. Small world. I uh, hope this finds you both well. I'm sure your spring tour is about to kick off any time now. I can imagine the ache of being away from your families for so long is really hard but i hope you guys enjoy the experience and have a great time yours truly zach burkhalter well thanks zach all right yeah the butterfly effect of metallica okay joe zappy says hello fellows hope all's well with everyone just recently rewatched some kind of monster on netflix and they had an extra 26 minute episode called this monster lives in which they sit down with the boys joe berringer and unfortunately phil Tao. 10 years later to discuss the film and its legacy Will you be doing a commentary episode on that in the future? If not, it's cool, since I'm sure you have many other topics and episodes already panned out. Joe Zappi, Walkertown, North Carolina, New Jersey. Have we done that? Do you know? That's another one of those, uh, maybe. I'm guessing that our, our, our boy Joe here maybe looked through the episodes and, and figured out that we haven't done that yet. But I have I have watched that a few times. It's very interesting to watch that kind of look back on it with, with Joe and stuff. I mean, I'm down to do it at some point. Well, one thing I'll recommend to everyone, especially you, Ethan, since you co-host a Metallica podcast, is Joe Berenger wrote a book called This Monster Lives. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge tell-all behind the scenes of the documentary. And it's very, very fascinating. We gave one of those away at the party. Well, good. I hope you gave it to someone who knows how to read. It was a two-year-old uh, who was still in a stroller. but Okay, uh, so they're probably fine then. Yeah, they're fine. Well, if we haven't, I don't. someone's going to have to let me know. I don't know if we've done it. If we haven't done it, let's do it. If we yeah. have done it, I'll just refer you to that episode. Yeah. Period. The end. All right, next email is from Zachary Lipkin-Moore. Good day, how do? I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Love everything you do, and without getting long-winded, the podcast has been a much-cherished uh, respite 
over the past year or so. You've also inspired me to revisit a lot of music from the 90s that I loved at that time and later arbitrarily neglected. I don't think I've had a musical awakening like this since uh, my early teens many moons ago. You also inspired me to get back into playing guitar, which has transformed how I see and appreciate music. It's like I have a third eye now, which which may or may not include my butthole. Um, thank you for the detail. This and half and always a way of life has changed my perspective in a world that can feel quite bleak at times. Now that you're firmly into the seventh year of the podcast, have you thought about uh, tuning the show down a half step? As far as I can tell on my end, you guys are still in standard tuning and are ripping just as strong in the seventh season of our uh, ephemeral existence on this mortal plane, which uh, in, invariably end as moles. All the best to you and your families from the Happy Valley out in Western Massachusetts, New Jersey. Most sincerely, Zach. P.S. Purple still fucking rips so hard. I agree, Zach. Purple's the best sophomore album of all time. Yeah, it's it's really, really fucking good. I don't remember why they did this. This is after Chester passed away, at, at, even after Scott maybe passed away. And they were. it's just the three guys, the DeLeo brothers and Eric Kretz, who were just doing like five to ten minutes on each album. Mm-hmm. They talk about core, purple, tiny music, and four, number four. It's interesting hearing them talk about purple and talk about working with Brendan O'Brien. They got a little bit of jangle because their first album was successful and how they were just immediately ready to start spreading their wings and m- writing more diverse music. Because right. core, core is heavy as shit. Very heavy. Core is like a like Alice in Chains facelift. It's like heavy. It's heavier than you remember. Yes, but Purple's really not super heavy. There's a couple of like Meat Plows heavy. Yeah, Meat Plows. maybe Lounge Fly and Silver Gun Superman. But Purple, as everyone can remember, has Interstate Love Song. It has a Vaseline. It has Big Empty. Still remains. Still it remains, has like yeah. a. It has like a really wide array of music, and it's just from front to end a banger. It's so good. And they talk about how what happened was I hated this part of the story. Because I'm kind of a kind of a butthole surfers fan, but more I like the idea of the butthole surfers because they have the coolest band name ever and they had the funniest record titles ever. Yeah. Rembrandt, Rembrandt Pussy Horse, Hairway to Steven. Electric Larry Lamb was their big one. Yeah. <laughs> but those guys were like straight up drug junkies, like art school Austin, Texas junkies who didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And they talk about Robert and Dean are talking about how it was really they did a tour with the butthole surfers where I think Gibby Haynes introduced Scott to heroin. Mm. They were always cool about it. In fact, I watched an interview with Dean recently from when they were, um, this is after Chester, and when they were like, they did like a nationwide search for a singer, like yes. a very public search for a singer. Like they had people audition from like outside. Yeah. And they were doing a radio interview where they were an- announcing that. And they get into the Scott stuff and Dean starts cr- like crying. He has to change the subject. Like Dean Man. is like really sensitive about the Scott stuff. I'm sure, yeah. Jeez. So they're talking about the Scott stuff and they're being like really really classy about it mm-hmm. they just really loved the guy and they're they're mad you know that like dealing with someone with an addiction can be infuriating because there's just so much you can do to help them they won't help themselves yeah for sure and they talk about how like they did one show for the number four record and then scott went to jail to serve a year sentence for like dealing heroin mm-hmm. but they're talking about how on purple they're like you know the end they're like purple was amazing it's one of our best records blah 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 really proud of it but the end of purple when we had done this tour with butthole surfers is when shit started to get weird with scott for the first time damn with h and he's like brennan took us up to a room you know we were trying to finish purple we couldn't finish it and brennan was like it was like our first conversation where someone like a, a you know big brother you know producers are like dads of course yeah where brennan was like hey what are you guys gonna do like you guys have a problem and uh, what are you going to do? And they talk about how that conversation scared him, where they were like defensive almost. Like, what do you mean? No, he's fine. Like, we're in a rock band. He, our lead singer is doing drugs. It's no big deal. Yeah. But Brennan, but Brennan could already see it. 
Oh, and for sure. Like, hey, you guys have you guys have a big problem. Purple was the last time that they functioned as a normal band because they only toured Tiny Music for six weeks and they never toured number four. Yeah. So they played a show in Vegas to launch number four. The next morning, Scott goes to jail for six yeah. months, but he was going to jail for a year. And the record label, whatever label it was, Atlantic or whatever, they were like, hey, the record's done. Like, you guys can't promote it and tour it. Your lead singer's in jail. Like, we'll just catch you on the next one. Yeah, and Scott from jail, I think they put out Down, the song Down, which is one of their heaviest songs, track one on number four. Yeah. This is an STP Tangent City, by the way. STP is just one of my spiritual bands right now. From jail, Scott said, you can't kill the record. You have to put out Sour Girl. You have to put out Sour Girl. Yeah. Sour Girl to this day is their biggest single. Man, so wild. Bigger than Plush. Bigger than Interstate Love Song, bigger than Vaseline, bigger than Big Empty on the Crow soundtrack. Their biggest song is Sour Girl. Yeah, it's it's obviously such a shame, and I'm sure those guys think about Scott every day. But it's mind blowing to me that they still they still were able to write some great great stuff while he was a fucking junkie. Well, I mean, look at all music. Most music was written by junkies. Yeah, that's Most, true. I mean, junkies write great music. That's true. A lot of times, the music gets worse when they get sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's true. Very true. I and mean, that's a tale as old as time, dude. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just just thinking about Scott and like just seeing certain videos of him just like barely being able to stand up and st I mean, part of my brain is going like, how can that person write something? But you're right that you know the most fucked up people in the world have written some of the best music. Well, no, that's not even what I'm saying. I'm saying people who have been fucked up like by drugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing is, drugs do something to you that is that unlocks you. Mm -hmm. You know, George Carlin had this whole deal about it. Do you know much about George Carlin? I love George Carlin's fucking hilarious. Do you know much about him? As in, as in what? Well, when he first started doing comedy, he was very straight. He did yeah. very straight comedy. And you can see it. He was like successful at it. You can see him doing the spots on Carson. And he credits like, and so George, what George Carlin became was almost like a, um, a, a societal prophet. Okay. George Carlin's comedy ended up becoming these huge comments on society. Oh, yeah. His comedy took on this huge thing yeah. where he was doing more than, than giving you a chuckle. There was more than just a straight line and a punchline. There was more than just a setup. He was actually talking about the deepest truths of human existence mm -hmm. and making you laugh. Yes. And he completely credits that to drug use, to like ex experimenting with hallucinogenic drugs and with heroin. Yeah. And wow. he, he has this whole thing where he's like, look, you, like drugs will open your mind and will completely change your life. But the problem is they'll kill you. Right. And he, he has this whole riff on like, you have to get off drugs. He's like, but if, and Bill Hicks had this whole bit about it where he's like, people think drugs are bad. If you think drugs are bad for the world, then go take all of your favorite records and throw them in the garbage. Because everyone who made all that art that influenced your life positively, they were real high on drugs. Mm -hmm. Look at Dylan. Look at the Beatles. Look at Frank Zappa. Look at all of it. Yeah, 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 true. Very and true. so there's this complicated relationship with drugs. That's why the microdosing is such a huge deal now. That's why my therapist, Sonia, is one of the smartest women I've ever known in my life. I've been recently, recently reaching back out to her just to chat with her about some shit that we're dealing with and all this stuff. And she's now actually doing like DMT, like microdosing sessions with her clients. Wow. And she believes that microdosing drug use is like the future of psychotherapy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Makes sense. It's no surprise that they have people who are on extreme drugs are able to take us into worlds that we didn't know existed. The problem is they're addictive and they kill you. Yeah, yeah. You know, Slash talks about when he came home from the Appetite Tour and he, he came home a junkie. He left on that tour an alcoholic, came home a junkie. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, we were out for like two and a half years while that record was blowing up. And when we came home, we were millionaires. Like we came home and like our business managers had bought us houses 
and he says he walked into his brand new house. You know, Slash grew up super poor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lived with his grandmother and stuff. And he says he came home to an unfurnished mansion in L.A. somewhere that someone bought for him. And he didn't throw a party. He didn't get furniture. He wasn't partying with chicks. He said the first thing he did was call his heroin dealer. And he closed all the curtains. And he just stayed in his house for six months doing heroin because it's all he wanted to do. Jeez. You know what I'm saying? Real dark. There's a reason that these people get hooked on it. And they're like, fuck, this is the best thing in the world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've known a lot of addicts in my time. And that's that's always the same thing. It's like you just, I know the risks. risks. I know what it's going to ultimately do to me or all the trouble it's going to get me into. But man, when that substance goes into my body, it's like euphoric. I feel like a whole different person. Or I, or I feel like maybe what the person I should be or, or what the whatever the case is per, per user. But... It's wild, man. Yeah. I mean, you know the, the cover of Purple. You know, the, can you see that in your mind's eye? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that the the, uh, the thing he got in Japan where he stored his heroin? Something like that? It was his drug dealer would give him heroin in that box. Yeah. Because the record was going to be called 12 Gracious Melodies, and that's what it is on the back. Yeah. Um, but they ended up calling it Purple, and that 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 cover with those like little angels, little mm-hmm. cherubs in the clouds right. is what he would get his heroin in. Ooh, man, you look at like John Lennon. Dylan was huge into heroin. Yeah, it's just it's sad that it's so tightly tethered to our favorite music, but there's just no way around it. Yeah, and I know that like back in the day, like a lot of jazz musicians were doing that kind of dude. Shit. Charlie Parker. Yeah, didn't he die of heroin at like 27 or something? <sighs> Gosh, man, it's just insane. I mean, I mean, Miles Davis was out of his mind. I mean, it's like it's it's sad to say that like it's like drugs made that dude a fucking legend in what he wrote and you know. Yeah, there's no way around it. Yeah, it's really, it's really fucking crazy. There's no way around it. All right, well, interesting drug talk here. Um, for real. Rohan Bullock says, hey, Clinton, Ethan, just another dude emailing to say thanks for the show. As a former commercial radio producer manager, there's a lot of pods that I just cannot hack for quality reasons. So thank you for the insane amount of effort that must be going into the recording editing. Well, I appreciate that, Rohan, because it is an insane amount of work that goes into it because I feel the same way. I cannot stand to listen to a shittily produced or edited podcast. I cannot stand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be an instant turnoff. I mean, right away. You know, it's like, I mean, imagine watching a badly edited TV show or movie or whatever. It's like, you can tell right away. You're like, fuck, man, where's the care in this? But yeah, thanks for saying that, man. Ethan, a little bit of serendipity you might appreciate. As I listened to your Best of 22 podcast, I was stoked to hear you Managed to get the Bad Religion Process of Belief vinyl. It's been a long-term top album for me. It rips. So that Arvo, I got the vinyl out for an overdue spin. Then later that night, a mate messaged and asked if I wanted a free ticket to go see Bad Religion and Social D in Sydney. Naturally, I jumped at the chance, and I'm off to see them on Saturday. Can't effing wait. Thanks again, and look out for another Patreon subscriber from Down Under soon. Oh, uh, Down Under, we know a guy over there. Good day, mate. (laughs) <laughs> let's put another shrimp on the barbie <laughs> rohan from new south wales australia new jersey well i gotta say rohan i am extremely jealous i i, I follow bad religion and social d and a couple of their members on socials and saw that they're doing a doing a little tour down under the two of them which is like I, two bands i fucking love i would love to see together so pretty awesome they're touring down there together and so stoked to get to go man our next email is from Nick Roller. He says, hey, gents, hopped off the ride for a few weeks. I was deep, deep, deep in football land. Go Niners. Uh, any woozy, catching up, and I really enjoyed hearing your top ten bands. Thought it would be fun to throw mine out. I did combine artists and bands because it's all music to me, I guess. As a bonus, 
I included my top 10 albums of all time. I enjoy the the sort of weird divergence between the two. So his favorite uh, artists slash bands, Metallica, Lamb of God, Alice in Chains, Deftones, The Beatles, John Mayer, Children of Bodom, Opeth, Coheed and Cambria, and Eminem. Top 10 albums, Opeth, Ghost Reveries, Queensryche, Operation Mindcrime, Counting Crows, August and Everything After, Nora Jones, Come Away With Me, Metallica, Master of Puppets, Lamb of God, Ashes of the Wake, The Beatles, Abbey Road, Pink Floyd, The Wall, Alice in Chains, Unplugged, and John Mayer, Continuum. Uh, and he says, hope the road is treating you well. Felt good to catch up after a few weeks. Your friendly neighborhood metal, heavy metal lawyer, only licensed in Jersey City, New Jersey. From Nick. Awesome. Well, if you're licensed in New Jersey, you can practice anywhere. That's if we've yeah. learned anything from the podcast. That is a very eclectic list of people. It is, yeah. Seeing like Opeth and Nora Jones in the same sphere is pretty crazy. I love, man, Nora Jones is so good to just put on in the house. Come away with me. She did a really fun record with her and Billy Joe Armstrong did a record together. It was pretty fun. Is it fun? Is it a fun time? It's a fun record. It's like a fun duets record. It's a good, you know, springtime gardening album. Hope you have the time of your life. <laughs> Go away with me. All right. Kenneth Hale says, all joking aside about, oh, he wrote us, he wrote in about a band called Goblin Cock. Goblin right. Cock. That's right. All joking aside about the name, have either of you ever listened to Goblin Cock? Have you ever listened to Goblin Cock? I had never even heard of them. Particularly this album. So good. They get put in the stoner rock category, but I definitely hear a lot of 90s rock alternative. Check out the songs Montrosser, Stew Pot's Package, and Something Haunted. Thanks for continuing to put out great content. Ken Hale, Portland, Connecticut, New Jersey. Uh, I've not heard it, and I did not check it out. I have not heard it yet either, so sorry, Kenneth. Um, but enjoy listening to Goblin Cock today. I feel like a band name really matters to me. Like A band like that, I was like, I don't know. Like Anal Vomit hit me in a way where I was like, love it. Gotta get it. Butthole Surfers, love it. Goblin Cock, I'm like, eh. Yeah, I mean, it might be some really awesome stuff. I mean, he's suggesting it, so I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll get around and listen to it. We'll see. Why don't you listen to it and let me know how it is? Okay, I'll let you know. Because I listened to the one last week. Yeah, that's true. All right, I'll check what out. What was Go- that? What was that band called? Uh, that was the one that sounded like Tool. Can't remember what they were called. I can't either. But it, it, they were they were Tool esque, which is why they were sent to you. Uh, well, thanks, Kenneth, for writing in. Our last email is from Z. Hi, extremely busy professional musicians. That's in quotes. That's what that's what Z is saying. I'm not disagreeing with it because it is sort of an inscrutable fact. But those aren't my words. I didn't say that I was a professional musician. I didn't say that I was busy. I didn't say that I was about to go on a six to eight week tour professionally. Right. Most of the shows have already sold out. NBD. Now, that's just something I read online. That's from an article that I read. Right. I'm not saying that all of my in-between time hasn't been spent doing professional music stuff. That's not what I'm saying. That's just what my wife said. Mm-hmm. That's what my mom said about me. Right, exactly. And I'm not saying that I've been doing it at a high level for 20 years. That's not me saying that. I'm just reading the reviews, baby. I mean, I have this email right in front of me on my computer screen right now. So, And it doesn't say it's from Ethan or Clint. So this is from Z. Look, I'm just reading the reviews. Have I made, have I made tens and tens and tens of albums? Have I written hundreds of songs? Have I been skiddling and scoodadding all around Nashville, having meetings, going to studios, setting up shit, playing on records, getting it done? Have I been putting podcasts out and editing and touring the world, making deals with gear companies I dreamed of working with as a kid? Have I been doing all that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Those are just the facts, man. It's just what I've been doing. It's it's part of your history, and it's this person Z is just pointing it out. That's all. I can't help it that there are people out there who failed at it, and they get mad when I point out that this is what I do with my life. Yeah, exactly. That's not really my problem. You know, it's like you got to do work on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I got to imagine that a lot of the people that get butthurt about shit like that, they they must not have a spouse. 
and they definitely don't have kids. Right. Because when you have a spouse, your spouse will look at all your bullshit, will look into your bullshit and go, ah, I'm not buying it. Mm-hmm. Do better. Yeah. You're a little, you're a whiny bitch. And then your kids look at you and go, I really need you to be whole so that you can take care of me because I'm just a little guy. Yeah. So you can't sit around and bitch about what did and didn't pan out. You got to grow up and face the fucking facts. And part of facing the facts isn't writing into a podcast when they butt hurt you by just being themselves. Right, exactly. <laughs> and this, by the way, lesson about growing up was fucking free. Free, F-R-E-E, if you can't spell. Also, that monologue you just graced us with just reminded me that somehow Dave Mustaine is married with children. Well, God bless his family. Can you imagine, like, your mom or dad just for 40 years, or as, or as long as you've been alive, your dad's just been spouting off this stuff. You're like, geez, dad, what the hell? You can put money on a lot of boo-boos. Yeah. People are like, money doesn't make you happy. It's like, yeah, I mean, it ultimately doesn't, but that's just what poor people say to try to feel better about not having money. Right. Money will cover over a multitude of sins, period. Money makes life simpler, easier. You yes. have more security, and you can be a man-child for longer if you have money. Yeah, absolutely. You can pay someone to raise your kids. Yep, you, you can pay can. someone to do therapy on your kids because you fucked them up your whole life. Because instead of <laughs> hanging out at their baseball game or watching them do the talent show, you're fucking crying about Metallica. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's just insane. But guess what? Most people don't have. Most people don't have money. Right. So here's what you all you have is your soul and your brain and your family, mm-hmm. and you have to be well to take care of your family who fucking need you. Right. You, you can't continue being a child. It's mm-hmm. too late for that. You have to grow up. It sounds like Z grew up a little bit in this email. Long-time listener, first time writing in. First, I have to say that you guys do a first-rate job on this form of broadcasting. Second, although my love for Metallica started in the 80s, it faded after St. Anger, but thanks to your covers and Apple's algorithm for suggesting them, it rekindled my love for the band, including St. Anger. Happy to tell the story. Best, Z. Awesome. That's growing up. Grow up. Do the work. It's not that hard. Yeah, exactly. Hard work's good for you, man. It totally Change is. your mind. Be different. Challenge yourself. Don't get mad at me because I'm a professional musician. Mm-hmm. Yep. Don't get mad at me because I don't like saying anger. Don't get mad at me because I think Megadeth sucks. Deal with your shit. Yeah, exactly. I've, I unfortunately, to this day, occasionally encounter people that will give me shit because I'm still doing music. That's wild. You have some weird people in your life. I've never, I've never experienced that. I mean, this isn't, I, I, should, I should say, this is, these aren't people I, I surround myself with every day. These are people I don't want to hang out with. This is like someone from my past that failed at music at what I do and leaves a little comment like, well, must be nice to still be doing that. It's like, well, you failed at it. Sorry. Do something else. Or you should have worked harder. I worked my ass off. I'm, that's why I'm in my 25th year on the road. Well, and guess what? It's not always that nice either. Exactly. It's definitely not that nice. Think about it, dude. Spend more time on your own shit. Do something that makes you happy. That Because guess what? This, this life that me and Clint have, which is very, very hard sometimes, a lot of the times, for most people, it doesn't work out. For most people that want to do music, it doesn't work out, unfortunately. So there's got to be something else in your life that you want to do or you want to achieve that's going to bring you that kind of joy. And if you can't find that, you're going to be a miserable fuck the rest of your life. Well, it's a shame because the people around you who care about you, which I'm sure there are many, whoever I'm speaking to, they know, they feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need you. They need you to be the, your best, the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. So go do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just go do that. Find out what it is and do it. Yeah, absolutely. I was doomed. I didn't have a choice. I'm like Louie in Interview with a Vampire. 
And Lestat says, well, I'm actually, I'm like Lestat, because Lestat's big comment whenever he turns someone into a vampire, Louis was the big one, is he says, I'm going to give you the choice I never had. Because the guy that turned Lestat into a vampire did it without his consent. Right. Which is not cool. You get canceled for that these days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can just go turning people into a vampire without asking them what their pronouns are. So uh, you're going to hear a commercial for Patreon if we have not already scared you away with our, frankly, genius soliloquies on the important things in life, what really matters. Right. You can not only stick around for the best part of the show, which is us talking about Metallica, but you can support the show at com slash metal up your podcast. And you can find a way, whatever makes sense with your budget to support the show. If you can't do that, we totally get it. There's no pressure. The commercial's going to explain it. Check it out. If you got a headache, we got sponsored by Newprin. I want to give a shout out to Newprin for sponsoring the show. Huge shout out. You heard commercial for that later. And then we're going to talk about our tour wish list for the M72 tour. I can't wait. Hey everyone, Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slain Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years' worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. Little, yellow, different. Oh, I'm so thankful for new print, man. I could have used it uh, laying in bed feeling like I was swallowing fucking a mouthful of gravel the last I, couple of days. I know. Well, hey, listen, uh, all of our people at new print, Clint needs your help. So maybe have a couple cases on hand for him to have next time. Uh the glasses tearing apart his throat. Here is the difference between a kid and an adult. When you're a kid and you're sick, you're scared to go to the doctor, and your mom's like, you got to go. And you're like, am I going to get a shot? Your mom's like, maybe, but the shot's going to make you feel better. And then you're just fucking terrified. Mm-hmm. As an adult, you go in, you go, can you give me a shot? Please. I need a shot of, of fucking amoxicillin. I need this to start getting better immediately or I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. My doctor yesterday was like, I can't give you a shot today. I can't even give you like a steroid thing for your throat. But, you know, I'm going to call this in and then, you know, can go to the pharmacy and get it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, I cannot cannot spend another 20 minutes like this. And like when you have strep where it's that gnarly, the thought of swallowing a pill to make you better just sucks. Even though you know it's going to make you better, but every swallow, just like you said, I'm feels like I'm swallowing fucking, yeah, the, a horse pill. I'm swallowing Dayquil, NyQuil. I'm trying to get fluids. I'm trying to drink water. And every time I swallow, is like torture. Yeah, I'm sure, man. I've been there. It fucking sucks. Well, I hope you feel better before we hit the road here in a couple of days. Yeah, I'm on my, uh, I'm on day three of the moxicillin. So cool. I'm already starting to feel more like a human being. But yeah, I, I think it's also just like the timing too. Like 
I'm under so much stress with this tour starting, rehearsals, moving my family, that it's like my body was just like shutting down. Yeah, your body lets you know like, hey, you know, it's time to chill for, you know, whether you like it or not. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into uh, finally some Metallica talk. I know everyone's breathing a sigh of relief out there. Um, we can dip back into Dave Mustaine if we want to. If but we want to. I'm just kidding. Um, all right, why don't you walk us through what your tour wish list is, and then we'll burn mine down. Yeah, so like we said before, you know, these are all songs that maybe minus one on my list. I'll let you out there be the judge. But songs that we've maybe never seen before, they rarely play, but are possible. They have played in the past, maybe recently, maybe in the last 10 years or something like that. So I'm going to start with my number 10 all the way up to number one. Um, and I ended up kind of just going through the records, a little piece from each record minus lightning, and I'll explain why in a bit uh number 10 i would like to see dirty window on this tour hmm. and i think that's possible obviously you know they they have played it at some shows they did it at the 40th anniversary shows they know the tune and i think it sounds awesome live if they're gonna have a saint anger slot either at the friday and sunday shows or just one of the nights i think this would be a good contender minus what they usually or what they did just not too long ago in the saint anger slot which was uh what frantic and saint anger i think so out of 10 songs on a wish list, you have a St. Anger song. I do have a St. Anger song. Wow. I, I know. It sounds crazy. It is crazy. There's something about that song when I when we watched the 40th anniversary shows with Paul that I was just like, like they've they've reinvented this song to me, you know, and that's that's what got me excited. So and I'm trying to, you know, I'm keep in mind that it's like two completely different sets each night in each city. So that's why I threw that in there. Sure. Uh, uh, my next one I did, uh, King Nothing. Okay. I think that could be a possibility. I think that's a, obviously a, a fucking jam, a banger. The next one I did, a, a thing that thing that should not be. Used to play that a lot, and I think that's a possibility. I, I think that's one of those. It's kind of become a bit of an overlooked song on puppets, and I think at live, I would just I would love to hear that again. Yeah. Um, now this next one is the one that I think is maybe teetering more on not possible. But um, you tell me what you think. Uh, I chose Carpe Diem Baby. Definitely impossible. Yeah. One of my favorites. Love yeah, it. Yeah. For sure. But chances are almost zero. Yeah, probably almost zero. I probably should have picked something else, but I was... I was, I was <laughs> There's no wrong answer. I was swinging for the fences. There's no wrong answer, but if you read this whole list and I just go, yeah, cool, yeah, cool, yeah, cool, this is going to be a boring episode. Right. Uh, I'm shocked about a St. Anger song on a wish list. Carbidian Baby, I'd love to see it. I think James really likes it. Yeah. When you watch them, you know, the few times that it's been played, it seems like it was probably at his behest. It's like when he plays Wasting My Hate. There's a few of these load song, load era songs I know that Carbidian Baby is on Reload. Believe me, I know Reload better than any Metallic <laughs> album. But I just don't think it worked. The deep cuts work. Yeah, I don't know a way that they can do Load and Reload deep cuts without it being some sort of medley or without it being like part of a, an anniversary for those albums. Right, right. Because you just look at how fucking bored everyone got during Fixer, which is probably one of the most exciting. I mean, what's a more exciting debut other than a new song on a new album? Yeah. From from Metallica. I mean, Spit was exciting. I think they debuted that in London. Right, but that was like the album they promoted at the time. Right. Yeah, something that like, that they, you know, they got released, you know, at least 10 years ago or more that they're going to all of a sudden play. You're like, oh, holy shit. I guess Dirty Window, but, you know, in general, I'm not normally anticipating or hoping for St. Anger songs, but... Well, like, they debuted Orion in 2005. I mean, that was pretty exciting, probably. Yeah, that was right. song they'd never played, one of the most beloved songs. Yeah, or when they did Dyer's Eve. Yeah, there's a couple of those. Freight Ends, mm -hmm. Dyer's Eve. Right. But I feel like the world would mostly yawn at Carpe Diem, Baby. Yeah, I know, like, you and I Which will get sucks. excited, but it does suck, you know, because it's a really great song. Yeah. Next on my list, I have Four Horsemen. Mm -hmm. um, I think that could be a possibility. Obviously, they're going to do Seek and Destroy every time, 
But I'd love to see a little bit more Kill 'Em All Love from time to time. Yeah. And that's a great, I mean, that's, that's, that's my favorite song on Kill 'Em All. Um, I have a stat about that song because that, that was going to make my list too. They've played it 552 times, which is kind of a lot. Okay. Like if you look at like the Creeping Deaths, the Inner Sandmans, those are around 12, 1300 master yeah. puppets. But here's the thing. So they've played Four Horsemen 552 times. They've only played it 131 times in the last 23 years. Mm, okay. So, so might, it's not getting a lot of love. Not getting a lot of love. That might be a tough one then. Might be a tough one. Well, no. I mean, it's not getting a lot of love in the sense like they should they should show it some more love. Oh, they absolutely should. I agree with that for sure. I mean, and that's just like a banger song too. It's not like they're they're you know they're going to pull out something that you know like with Carpe Diem, Carpe Diem Baby. It's kind of like well, it's a little slower. It's like a deep cut off a reload. Uh, I don't know if the crowd's really going to feel that. But if they bust into Four Horsemen, like the crowd would go crazy. They would love. Oh yeah, that. you know, Dave Mustaine would go crazy. Well, he he's already crazy in a different way. But right. <laughs> my other or my next one, uh, I chose Halo on Fire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still kind of in, uh, up up in the air as far as like on this next album cycle what kind of love are they going to show hardwired is it just just going to be moth into flame you know are they going to play hardwired but you know halo on fire was a pretty consistent song on the world wired tour so i'd like to see that make an appearance again i think that'd okay. be really cool yep death magnetic i chose i chose end of the line mm-hmm. end of the line though i don't know i just think it would be such a, fu- a fucking awesome song it's got such a good kind of puppetsy verse and you know, it's just a it's just a great tune. That, you know, track two off the record, and that's something I would really love to hear. You know, uh, Unforgiven three. I don't know that was going to be a choice, but I don't know if that's that's going to be possible. I mean, last time they did that was at the at the at the S and M two with just James in the orchestra, which is great. They've only played Unforgiven three ten times. Yeah, that's 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 not likely. Twice to in twenty nineteen, once in twenty eighteen, and then the other seven times were in twenty ten. Yeah, yeah. So that's not going to happen. So maybe Halo on Fire. Um, well, you just said the end of the line. Oh, sorry. I was sorry. Read my, reading my list wrong. My bad. Yeah, end of the line. Yeah, I would I would love for that to be in the set list. I mean, I think Death Magnetic doesn't get a lot of the love that it deserves in a live setting. So having these two unique set lists, there's more opportunities for them to show love to that record, and I hope that they do. Um, next up, I have uh, The Shortest Straw from Justice. Okay. Yeah. That one obviously was at, played at the 40th show, so it's kind of like, well, we, hey, you guys rehearsed it. It sounded great. You got that intro down, you know, because yeah, obviously they're going to do one. And they're probably going to throw in Blackened in there, and maybe Harvey. But I would love, I would love for them to sh- throw a shortest straw in there. I think it'd be awesome. Uh, next is off the Black album. I have My Friend of Misery. Since the two set lists are happening, it's like you, you got a lot of you got a lot of room to throw the Black album stuff in there. Like they're only going to play Inner Sandman one of the nights, right? I would love to see a little more love to the Black album and hear My Friend of Misery because that is my favorite song off that record fucking right. awesome and you can probably guess my number one i don't know your number one orion orion that's my number oh, one okay yeah orion would be awesome i know that's not been played a ton over the years but i just i don't know i feel like th- th- at this point in their career it's like man you guys will do cthulhu like let's let's throw out the most you know or maybe this is how they do like the tribute to cliff like on, on the worldwide tour you know robadu anesthesia and this great montage of cliff behind him head banging maybe this could be that that moment for the little uh, little cliff tribute in the show. How many times would you guess Orion has been played? It's probably less than 10 times. They've played it 69 times. 69 times. Okay, so less than 100. It got a lot of love in 2014. I don't know why. They played it 14 times in 2014, 11 times in 2013, uh, 11 times in 2007, 12 times in 2006. And I thought this was interesting. Okay. They played Orion six times in 2010. Five of those six times were in Australia. Now, that was the time when you were going to the shows. Uh, yes, I did not see Orion though. No, no, I know you didn't, but I'm just saying one of the weird times that they were playing it 
was the year you saw them in a really specific part of the world that yeah, you were seeing them. so crazy then. Because, you know, most people, camp, they camped out there for like two weeks. Right, exactly. So you almost did get to see it. I was very close then, yeah, for sure. Because they've skipped several years. Like, they only played it once in 2021, once in 2018, once in 2017, twice in 2016. And then, like I said, 2014 and 13, they played it a lot. Only three times in 2012, four times in 2011, six in 2010, five of those in Australia, which is where you were when you saw them. So crazy. 11 times in 2007, 12 times in 2006. And then they debuted it on November 13th of 2005, and they played it once again two nights later in San Francisco. Gosh, that's... So it's got an interesting play history. Yeah, it absolutely does. I kind of want to look up the show I went to and actually look up, because I think they did two nights where I went to um, in Australia. I want to see if I missed it by like one night. Okay, so let's see. They did three nights at the venue I went to. So I went October 16th on my birthday, 2010. The next show was the 18th. Nope, not there. Let's look at the next show. I'm just, I missed it by a couple of days, man. I'm bummed. Uh, yeah, two shows later, they did it in the same city, same venue. Wow. No Leaf Clover, Orion into one. How about that? Wow. Into Puppets, into Fire with Fire. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, man. Uh, well, that would be a, a fucking amazing thing to see. I, I, would, I would probably lose my, my, my mind if I was at that show, just like, fucking finally, you know? All right, well, I got some honorable mentions here. These are... These are songs I would, these are songs I really would in my secret heart hope to see that I don't think are possible. Right. But I wanted to give a shout out to these. No Remorse, which actually is in the realm of possibility, but I kind of went through each album. Escape, I would love to see. It ain't happening. Yeah. Disposable Heroes, I think, is gone. Eye of the Beholder, they never play. They don't play Green Hell ever. No. A lot of love for Last Caress. I mean, like 800 performances of Last Caress. Green Hell! Probably less than 15 with Green Hell. Yeah. Uh, the Struggle Within. It got love on the Black Album anniversary tour, but never see it. Mm-hmm. Two by Four, Fixer. I don't think they're ever going to play Fixer again. The Judas Kiss, my favorite deep cut from Death Magnetic and Dream No More. So let's get those out of the way. Okay. Those are, those are like a true wish list, but I yeah. recognize that they're not within the realm of possibility. So starting with number 10 for me, I chose Bread Fan. Oh, cool. Starting with a cover. Now, they've played it 324 times, which is kind of a lot. But, yeah. but when you look at the history of it, it's pretty fascinating. They last played it on December 12th, 2021 at the first of the two 40th anniversary shows. It was only played five times in 2018, all in Europe, played once in 2017 in China, played four times in 2016, played once in 2013, again in China, played <laughs> once in 2012, Mexico City, once in 2011 at the Fillmore show that we just covered all the Fillmore shows, Right. 11 times in 2010, eight times in 08, five times in 2004, six times in 2003, once in 2000. So of the 324 total performances of Bread Fan, it's only been played 45 times in the past 23 years. Okay. And I wrote in my notes, come on. Come on, guys. Well, it sounds like, the, I mean, it, it's been played more in recent years than it was earlier, like when they played it once in China or whatever. I mean, barely. They didn't play it at all in, in, in 2020 or in 2019. They only played it five times in 2018 and once in 2017. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's not a lot. but I mean, 45 times in 25 years. That's not, that's not a lot of times. <laughs> For how when much they played they it 324 times total. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's not a lot at all. And it's just such a great fucking energetic cover. All right, number nine, similar to your Halo on Fire, I went with Now That We're Dead, but without the drum stuff. Yeah, 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 nix that. Because they did play it, they played it in 2021, night one of The Louder Than Life in Louisville, and they played it at the Independent, the club show. You know, they did the two club shows, the Metro and the Independent. Yeah. And they did it without the drum shit. And it's like, it's the, the most loadish sounding song on Hardwired. It's kind of short. Right. Great hooks. It just seems like an easy one to throw in and have fun, and it rocks. Yeah, for sure. 
they played it twice in 2020, once at the All Within My Hands, like Honeycomb Wall gig. Yep. And then they had that winery gig that no one went to. And it was definitely a staple. Like from 2017 to 2019, those three years, they played it every show. So it's it's not exactly a super deep cut. I just don't want to see it go to what I'm calling the graveyard of Talica tunes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I and I fear that it has. But this is my wish list. Yeah, it's your wish list. This is what you want. Just bring it back. It's a fun banger. It's a fun four to five minute banger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Again, sure. Again, if they don't do all the drum shenanigans. That's too much. Which I submit was... A charming idea. It just didn't really work. Yeah, it didn't really land. Number eight is my most ambitious choice. I chose Hell and Back. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's been played, what, once? 16 times. 16 times. Okay. It was debuted at the Fillmore. Again, we covered that on right. December 9th, 2011. But then for, for reasons unknown, so that was December 9th. Yeah, December 9th, 2011. For reasons unknown, it resurfaced the next year in May of 2012 in Paris, which is where they also debuted Man Unkind. Okay. Obviously, years later. And they played it all through this Europe run. They played it like every night for 15 shows. Crazy. The last two performances were June 23rd at the Orion Fest in Jersey and Outside Lands Festival on August 11th, 2012 in San Francisco. So I would love to ask James, like, why did you kind of get charged up on that song for like a tour? Yeah. And then it goes away forever. I mean, it's gone forever. Yeah, that's why. And what year was that that they consistently played it, you said? 2012. 2012. Okay. Yeah, that's so crazy. Well, listen, I'm going to add the same note you did to the last one. Come on. I mean, that'd be a great, I would love, that'd be an awesome song to see live. Yeah. I mean, it's number eight. It's not my number one. I'm, sure. These are, these are going in order of excitement for me. Yeah. It's after Now That We're Dead and after Bread Fan. Right. Number seven, this is our first overlap, which we have three overlaps, by the way. Okay. Number seven is The End of the Line. Okay. Awesome. I was thinking about Death Magnetic Tunes and just the ones I really, really want are out of the question. Like, they're not going to play Judas Kiss. Yeah. They're not going to play All Nightmare Long. They're not going to play My Apocalypse. Right. End of the Line's been played 150 times. They last played at night two of the 40th anniversary shows, December 19th, 2021. Which, by the way, that performance was the first time they had played it in 11 years. Jeez. It was last played in Melbourne, Australia on uh, November 18th, 2010. What was yeah. the show you saw? Uh, Brisbane. I was just, I, I went back to the date that I saw just looking up what Death Magnetic songs they played because that was obviously that tour. That was just your life. End of the line. Broken, beaten, scarred. Probably my apocalypse. All nightmare long, and that was it. So they did. Wow. They, they did four songs from the new record at the show I saw. Well, they played end of the line forty-one times in 2010, 77 times in two thousand nine, thirty-one times in oh eight. So it got all its love on the World Magnetic Tour. Yeah. Now I contrasted that with the Judas Kiss, which has only been played thirty times, okay. five times in two thousand ten, and twenty-five times two thousand nine. It has not been played since two thousand ten. Yeah. Now I did think too. And this is just my fantasy, right? So uh, this could be, in the line, could be in a rotating death magnetic slot. Yeah, I was just thinking that. That could be shared with That Was Just Your Life, which hasn't been played since 2010. The Day That Never Comes, which they play kind of often. And then Cyanide and maybe Broken Beat and Scarred, which Broken Beat and Scarred hasn't been played since 2013. And that was a single. Yeah, that's right. That was. So the only two they kind of dust off really are Cyanide and, and uh, That Was Just Your Life. Or, or uh, Cyanide and The Day That Never Comes. Day That Never Comes, yeah. Awesome. But if they had a death magnetic slot with That Was Just Your Life, End of the Line, uh, The Day That Never Comes, and Cyanide or Broken Beat and Scarred, I think everyone would be happy with that. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty rad. And that's, I mean, that's more likely just to have it with just like a one song slot because obviously they'll be promoting the new record. And, yeah. you know, same thing with like a St. Anger slot. If you could, listen, if you can do a St. Anger slot, let's do a death magnetic slot, guys. Come on. I, it, that to me makes per- total sense. Just show some love to that record. The death magnetic shit's way harder to play. It is. It is for sure. Because here's what they're doing on Dirty Window. Bow, 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 Yeah, that's way easier to play. Some of the, if you're a guitar player and you've tried to learn stuff on Death Magnetic, it's 
real hard. I mean, Dirty Windows sounds like a kid playing a corn song in Guitar Center, period. Yeah. All right, my next song, number six. So we're getting, we're, we're, we're ramping up levels of excitement here. All right. And this is our second overlap of my list. Okay. It's King, no- King Nothing. Hell yeah. Now, listen, it was released as a single. It reached number 90 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was on the Billboard Hot 100 for eight weeks. It reached number six on Mainstream Rock Tracks chart, which it was on that chart for 26 weeks and just all over MTV. Mm-hmm. They performed it on the American Music Awards in 97, where they won Best Heavy Metal Hard Rock Band. It's been played 359 times, which again sounds like a lot, but let me break down the history here. Okay. Last played December 17th, night one of the 40th anniversary shows, which kind of don't count. They, that was a you know a career retrospective. It was, yeah. It was played twice in 2017, both times in China, played four times in 2016, 14 times in 2015, and then either once or twice from 2011 to 2015. To 2005. So basically, of the 359 times it's been played, only 79 times has it been played in the last 23 years. Jeez, okay. Wow. So it's not getting any love. And it was a single. It was a hit. It was, yeah. Some of the choices they've made about that kind of stuff are so wild to me. Like Or like, you know, the Grammy Award winning Bleeding Me. Never been played. Well, you're, you're confusing that with Better Than You. Sorry, Better Than You. My bad. Which is on Reload. Bleeding Me is on Load. Getting my B's messed up over here. but So I watched their performance of it in 97 on the American Music Awards. It's awesome. Crowd's loving it. They've got that great late 90s power. And then I watched the uh, performance from the 40th anniversary shows, and it's awesome. The whole crowd like the whole crowd sings the King Nothing part of the chorus. Yeah. like People know that song. Yeah, they absolutely do. And unlike other, I mean, I could have chosen a few other um, Load era songs, like Until It Sleeps which was a bigger hit, but it's just King Nothing has more of that like rollicking groove power that I think a crowd would enjoy more live. Mm-hmm. Till It Sleeves is slow and dark and kind of morose. Right, exactly. King Nothing like has a great riff and it's, you know, it's got a callback to Inner Sandman. It's got a big, you know, thing, a part that the crowd can sing. So King Nothing's number six, the excitement level's ramping up. Number oh, yeah. five, Through the Never. Mm, nice. Which is not outside the realm of possibility. It's not insane. It's been played 245 times, once in 2012, five times in 2021, twice in 2019. One of the two times I got to see in Little Rock, Arkansas, where, by the way, they also played Hit the Lights and Spit Out the Bone. That was a great show. Hell yeah. Now we're talking. Four times in 2018, six times in 2017, twice in 2013. They did play it 17 times in 2012, but that was a 30th anniversary Black Album. So all Black Album songs got a lot of love in 2012 because of that european summer tour where they played the album back to front right exactly two times in 2011 11 times in 2010 once in 2009 before 2009 it was last played in 1993 Woo! <laughs> damn so that means out of the 245 times it's been played it's only been played 52 times in the last 23 years damn okay okay so it needs more love it's it's i believe the greatest deep cut on the black album I believe that it would have been any other band's lead single. Mm-hmm. They had Sabbath True and Inner Sandman and Wherever I May Roam and Nothing Else Matters. So yeah. and Unforgiven. So it wasn't going to be a single. But here's my thought about a slot. Okay. Okay. Let's say they had a, a Black Album deep cut slot because they're going to play Nothing Else Matters. They're going to play Sandman and they're probably going to play Sad. Although yeah. I, I'm going to get to Sad in a second. But let's say that we, just, we give Nothing Else Matters and Inner Sandman, those two are getting played. Mm-hmm. What if they had a Black Album deep cut slot, okay, that they could share with Holier Than Thou? which has only been played 97 times. Okay. Of Wolf and Man, which actually has gotten a lot of love. I was surprised to see. It's been played 261 times. My Friend of Misery, which how many times would you guess that song's been played live? Misery? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess probably 24 times. Close. 21. 21, okay. And it debuted in 2012. 
So they did not play My Friend of Misery until the Black Album Anniversary Tour. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I know Jason used to like tease it like in his little bass low thing, but that's about it. But you, you can't call that playing the song. So, man, that's crazy. 2012. So the deep cut slot would be Through the Never, Holier Than Thou, A Wolf and Man, Misery, and The God That Failed, which surprisingly has been played 104 times. Yeah. And I realized that keeping all these songs in rotation slots means more work for the boys. And honestly, they're not in the business of making more work for themselves. They're in the business of streamlining their show so they can deliver the most satisfaction to the most people possible. And that does not include diehards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Period. Yeah, especially when you're doing a massive stadium tour like they are doing and have done on Hardwired. Well, they've just reached a point in their career where they don't have to p- pander to the diehards. They What they need to do is play Master of Puppets and Sabbath True and Inner Sandman. You know, like yeah. that's how they deliver the most satisfaction to the most people with the biggest swath. Yeah, it's like the, you know, they're giving you the most bang for your buck. You know, it's in, and they'll occasionally do those, those you know, rare shows where they're throwing in some deep cuts or they do the Zazula show where it's just the, from the first two records and things like that. But I mean, that's not for the masses. No. And like my rotating slot for the Death Magnetic were like all the big songs from Death Magnetic. That was just your life, end of the line, the day that never comes. This is a deep cut slot, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. They're like, I'm not going to relearn God That Failed and My Friend of Misery and hope Kirk doesn't fuck it up or whatever, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or, or fuck up the timing and have a big boof in front of, you know, whatever, 50,000 people. They're like, we're not in the business of doing that. Yeah, totally. We're not in the business of making a podcast host happy. <laughs> We're in the business of changing lives of generational fans. There's a grandfather with his kid and his kid's kid at this show, and they want to see fucking battery, period. Yeah, exactly. It is my wish list. Number four, excitement level creeping up. All right. Damage Inc. Hell yeah. Surprisingly, been played 303 times, but of the 303 times, only 99 times in the last 23 years. I won't bore you all going through the years. And this is another fantasy thrash slot. They famously did the thrash slot on the hardwired. Worldwired. Worldwired too. But I think that they should have, I think they should slightly mix it up. I I think they should be Fire, 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 Blackened, My Apocalypse, Damage Inc. and Spit. Oh, there you so go. So you can get battery out of there. Give battery a break. Maybe yeah. even give Blacken a break. Yeah. But if you got Fight Fire, Damage Inc., My Apocalypse, and Spit, people are happy. People would absolutely be happy for sure. And Damage Inc., that's just really grown on me a lot since the, the dawning of the podcast. I never really spent a ton of time with puppets, which sounds crazy. Yeah. But I really wasn't that familiar with like Leper, da- uh, Disposable Heroes, or Damage Inc. Right. Or really even Orion that much. Side B can be a little ignored, I guess, sometimes if you're dipping in. Because you've got, yeah, you've got, you've got battery puppets, thing that should not be in sanitarium on side A, which is exactly. like, holy shit. Exactly. Um, but yeah, side B is no joke. Speaking of side A of puppets and our last overlap, number three, the thing that should not be. Hell yeah. Awesome. Surprisingly played 266 times, but of the 266 times it's been played, only 54 in the last 23 years. Mm, okay. Now, here's my most exciting slot. And it's not even my last slot, but this is, in my opinion, the most exciting slot. So I lump Thing That Should Not Be in the list of what I call Metallica's heaviest songs. Yeah. I think it would be a great rotating slot of what I'm calling the Metallica Gives You Heavy Baby slot. Ooh, a good one. With Sabbath True, which has been played a million times. That's yep. one of their highest played songs, but I'll take it at every show. But what if there was a rotating slot with Thing That Should Not Be, Sabbath True, Devil's Dance, and Dream No More? Mm. All tuned down a whole step. Love that. Devil's Dance only played six times in the last 23 years, all in, t- all in the year 2008, a little yeah. stretch of shows in 2008, only 44 times total, Wow, okay. including the S&M shows, amazingly. Yeah. And then Dream No More, which has only been played 21 times, one of which we saw in Birmingham. Yep, absolutely we did. It was awesome. But could you imagine that slot? Dude, like a Metallica gives you heavy slot is a great idea. Like if they had those four songs in a slot, 
I would pony up more cash and go to more than one show. Like I would make it a priority. Yeah. Because I'd be like, holy shit, I have to see Devil's Dance. If they brought Devil's Dance back, man, if they were pulling out Dream No More, again, all the guitars tuned down a whole step. They're all ready to go. Kirk can play whatever guitar he's allocated for that. James can play the purple snake bite. It makes sense to me. This is one of the most exciting parts of my list. All right, moving on. Number two, Ride the Lightning. Yeah. And it's looking good because they played this song 13 times in 2022. It's been played 388 times, which is a lot. Yeah. 210 times in the last 23 years. But here's what's weird about Lightning. So it was played 18 times in 2003. Before 2003, it was last played in February of 1987. (laughs) I knew it was going to be the 80s, dude. <laughs> wow, so what a gap. So they went 16 years without playing it. Gosh, that's crazy. And since 2003, they've played it 210 times. So I don't know how or why it got put back in rotation and has become an interesting song for them. It's one of their best songs. And here's what's exciting about the slot that I have imagined. And it's what I'm calling the rotating slot of big three title tracks. Okay. And Justice for All, Master of Puppets, Lightning. Because you get a break from puppets. Well, I guess they're they're not going to play it at one of these two shows, right? Of each city. So I like how you're doing the 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 themed slots. You know, it's like yeah, we have the death magnetic slot, but then we have like the heavy slot, and then we have this slot. And maybe some of them have been ambitious because there have been like five songs in each slot. But even if you had if you had the Talica gives you heavy slot, even if you just had Sabbath True and thing that should not be the death magnetic slot, even if you just had end of the line and that was just your life. Yes. For the what I'm calling the big three title track slot, even if you just had puppets and lightning mm-hmm. right anytime justice for all is on the set list i get excited because it's such a rarely played ambitious song they they haven't played the song in justice for all since 2014 okay crazy and puppets falls into the cat puppets is a sandman puppets is their first sandman yes it is in that it's probably up there with sandman as the most recognizable metal song ever i think it's a superior song to sandman i can't imagine them playing a show without it but yeah. if you are going to not play it Throw in Lightning or throw in Injustice for All. Give a little love to those title tracks. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Hell yeah. I do have to say, unfortunately, St. Anger is not going to rise to the occasion of these three songs. No. Because St. Anger, right, is the, is the, they, they did the titular track, right? Yeah. Think about that. Think Just think about that. Think about Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Injustice for All. And then think about putting St. Anger in that category. It doesn't compute. It doesn't even come close. Now, St. Anger belongs where it belongs, and you can put it, everyone puts everything in a column to make sense for it. It, right. it all goes where it goes, and it's great. But it does not belong with the three songs, the aforementioned songs. Yeah. All right. Coming to a blistering conclusion here. My number one. Yeah. I guess you can guess what it is because of the clip I sent you. I can guess what it is, and that's going to be Unforgiven 2. I think they need to play the Unforgiven 2. First of all, it's only been played six goddamn times. Six times. That's it. Damn. And it's a great song. It's not like it's some weird out there kind of tune. I mean, it's it's kind of business as usual for Metallica as far as like that slower, groovy, ballad-esque you know, I think I think it's one of their greatest songs. I think it's one of James's best lyrics. It's one of James's best vocal performances. Melodically, harmonically, it's as good as the, those top songs, which I would put Fade to Black, Orion, Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. They're they're really like harmonically interesting songs. You know, they're right. melodically very strong. My friend of Misery is up there. Yes, Unforgiven Two, I think, is better than all of them. Pound for pound, not better song, but like melodically, the the melodies that B-Binner guitar, Ugh. that great part from Kirk up top, and the vocal melody and the conviction of the lyric, continuing the story of the Unforgiven, turning it m- more inward and making it about this relationship. It had a great video. It reached number 59 on the Hot 100 billboard, where it was for 15 weeks, number two on mainstream rock for 26 weeks, went gold in Australia and Denmark, number one on UK rock and metal charts, number 15 on the UK single chart. 
It was smothered, covered, and chunked on MTV. It's got the cool one I think is one of the coolest looks of the band. James, short hair, but it's getting a little longer. Reload sauce. Yeah. It was a great single. Now, here's what happened. Here's what happened because I've been playing music for a long time. I know how it works. They debuted it on national television, okay? Mm -hmm. December 8th, 1997, the Billboard Music Awards, where they won an award. <laughs> Buster Rhymes gives them an award. That's right. Like best, <laughs> best heavy metal band. So it's Wayne Newton and Buster Rhymes, first of all. Perfect. And Metallica's already to the side of the stage on a performance stage while the Wayne Newton and Buster Rhymes are, you know, they knew they were all going to win. By the right. way, everyone knows who's winning for all of you out there. And they launch into Unforgiven 2, and it sounds great. It's their new single. I think it's the flagship song off Load or off Reload. I mean, yeah. This is before Fuel, and I think before Memory. I think this was a big statement for the band because it's it sounds like a mature. It's a real song, man. It's yeah, deep. it totally is. Memory Remains is a is a story. It's a it's you know the Billy Wilder Sunset Boulevard, the fading celebrity. Fuel is a rollicking, give me fuel, give me fire, give me that try to start. Unforgiven 2 is like, James is listening to Tom Waits. Mm -hmm. James is trying to tell a dark a dark Edgar Allan Poe telltale heart story. Yeah. And it's melodically, as I've said, one of their best songs. Here's what happens, and we're about to hear a clip of it. It's all going great, because every time they've played it after this, which was only four times at European festivals and once in Canada, James doesn't even play the B-Bender. He's just trying to get through it, and you can tell he's He's playing it for reasons that he he doesn't want to play it. Yeah. But this performance, he's into it. And he's playing that B-Bender telly, which B-Benders are hard to play. Yeah. They're they're wired in a way where you have to move your shoulder to get the correct bends. And Kirk comes in with the turd in the punch bowl. And Ugh. I submit to you all listeners out there that this one clam chowder destroyed this song forever for this band. Let's hear it real quick. All right. <laughs> It. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Sometimes I forget about that performance, man, because it, it's like, and it wasn't one of those moments where he hit a bad note with confidence. I mean, it just sounds like the lights went off and he didn't know where he was, which is a shame because that's like you, like you said, I would love to hear the song in the, in the on the new tour, and with like with all the accolades it has, it's like it seems like a no brainer. You know, it's like the Unforgiven, the OG was such a big song. This was such a great sequel to that song, and it's like it, it, it deserves more love, man. I fully back your number one. Well, it, it's, it's a hearts on the play. It's hard to pull off, and I've encountered many of the songs in my career. And sometimes you can never get there. Sometimes you just, even if it sounds good on the recording, you just can't get there to where it works live. Sometimes it just takes a lot of work to get there. Mm -hmm. And part of that is just duking it out on stage. They never got to do that because, and I, I know that it's a hard, I've tried to cover it. I've tried to play it. I've tried to yeah. break it down. And by the way, for, the, for these who are paying attention out there, listen to all those chord changes at the very end. Really interesting stuff going on. And it ends on this major, on a major A. Yeah. But they're hitting all these like stabs and James is doing these big like vocal roles. It's a song they were going to have to get into a rehearsal situation and like really figure it out or at least just road test it. Yeah. And and I believe that Kirk whiffing that so hard was so psychologically embarrassing and damaging to them, their ego about this song, that that is why it went away. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you've been there a bunch of times like I have that 
when you're in a band and you're on the road and you're playing, you know, you're testing out some new songs from the new record, like, hey, let's try this one. If one person chunks a little part, most people are like, nah, we're good. Let's not do it. I just think that's in addition to it already being challenging. I think they were just like, fuck it. They're just right. group ego died. Yeah. And then and then James probably thought it's already too hard. And if I because it's a pretty vulnerable song vocally and lyrically. And I think he thought if I don't got my guys behind me, if I can't trust the band, mm-hmm. I'm not putting myself out there on this fucking song. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what Kirk did in that in that moment was just immediately crush that confidence. Yeah. Immediately. On on national TV, it was embarrassing. Yeah, in front of millions and millions of people. And it's no big deal. It's like he made a mistake, and it was just kind of a high-stakes mistake. It was kind of a big mistake to make uh, in front of millions of people, and you know that's hard to land and recover from, but everyone's done it. I think Kirk is a wonderful guitar player who has shown up in a million other clutch moments, but he he whiffed it, and that's a great example. I mean, Unforgiven 2 is in my top 10 all time. Yeah, that was my favorite song when I was a kid. Yeah, and it's a shame that it can't be a part of their show. It's a shame that so many of those songs, because Fuel and Memory are kind of like bells to me. And I know that's going to be you know sacrilegious to some of you out there, but what I mean is, you can pull them out at any time, and they're going to kill. Yeah, for sure. And they're easy to play. They're really hard to fuck up. Now they they play they play especially Fuel way too fast. They play like punk rock version now. Mm-hmm. Those songs are just so such no brainer live songs. That I get. They're like, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna try to play until it sleeps, which is like hard to land. Bleeding me is long, mm-hmm. fixer, long, outlaw torn. There's all this stuff built up with it. Yeah, for sure. I like I, I totally get why James is like, you know what? I might play Wasting My Hate. I might play King Nothing, but I'm definitely playing Fuel and Memory. But this is my wish list, and I, it's time. It's time to dust it off. All right. It's been, you know, how many years has it been? Okay, let me let me look. I have got my notes right here. They last played it on European festivals. Oh, I didn't write the year. It was something like 2008 or something. Okay. Uh, where they played it four times at European festivals and one time in Canada. And what was the total number again? Total number? Six. Six, Six. times. Okay. It's, yeah, get, get that duster out, fellas. At least, at least give it some love. I mean, at this point, what do they have to lose? What do they have to lose by giving mm-hmm. some stuff some love? It's not like it's a deep cut. I mean, it's a deep cut right. when you consider how many times it was played. But it was one of the lead singles off of Reload. It was a huge MTV yeah. hit. It was a chart hit. Yeah, it fully charted in multiple countries. They're winning the award for best hard rock band on the Billboard Music Awards. They didn't play Fuel. They didn't play Memory Remains. They didn't play Until It Sleeps. They didn't play Hero of the Day. They didn't play King Nothing. They played Unforgiven too. Yeah, I guarantee you, they were ones who killed that as a single. It was not Q Prime. It wasn't that it was testing poorly. Like, Chicks loved that song. I think it's one of Nomarda's favorite songs. Yeah. The dudes loved it. It was sensitive. It was well-rounded. It was interesting. It wasn't battery. Mm -hmm. I get it. It wasn't nuclear fallout, fight fire with fire. It wasn't wear leather and kick ass tonight. But I submit to you it's one of their best songs, more most well-rounded songs. I agree. And I guarantee the second they walked backstage at that award show, James probably looked at everybody and go, yeah, we're not doing that again. And then somehow miraculously got talked back into it, you know. At some of those festivals later, but I, I don't know what happened. I thought it was on the by request tour, but I, I went and looked at it, and it w- didn't seem to be the by request stuff. Yeah, and I don't think people, you know, the big story of the by request tour is that most people were kind of requesting shit they were going to play anyway, like Inner Sandman and Master of Puppets and Sabbath True. <laughs> right. You would occasionally get afraid into Sanity or like a Ride the Lightning or something. But I want to hear Inner Sandman. Do you guys think you'll play that? Well, because most people aren't diehards. Right. Exactly. That's the story. Yeah, for sure. Not with a band that big. No, 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 not at all. Now, if Dave Matthews did that, if Dave Matthews' band 
wherever to deign, let their audience choose some of their, we're picking in mass. We're picking some crazy deep cuts. Oh, I'm sure that most of his fans are crazy like yeah. me. Yeah. You know, Pearl Jam would be the same way. If Pearl Jam let their fan, you know, Pearl Jam can sell 20 to 25,000 tickets in most markets. And most of the people that go to Pearl Jam shows know the deep cuts. Mm-hmm. So if Pearl Jam let their fans vote on it, it's everyone's not voting for Jeremy. They're right. just not one of those bands. But Metallica is. Metallica is a band where if you let most of their fans decide, most of their fans know Inner Sandman. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's like U2. I mean, yeah. people are going to choose with or without you, you know. That's a great example. U2 fans are going to choose with or without you and where the streets have no name and the song won. Yeah. They're not choosing, you know, they're so cool and fly. And, you know, they're not choosing Drowning Man from from fucking war. They're not choosing <laughs> Deep Cuts from October. Right, exactly. And, and, and listen, I'm glad Metallica's that way. You know, it's like, yeah, of course, would I love to hear some of these Deep Cuts? Yeah, sure. But I love that they're still able to get out there, sell out stadiums, play to a packed house, and still just show everybody why they're the best and why they're the biggest metal band in the world. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, well, all right, look, you can write in Mel podcast show at gmail.com. Let us know what your wish list is. Keep it short, keep it brief, keep it, keep it cool, keep it chill. And maybe we'll read it on the show. If they're very, very long emails, it's, it's hard to read those on the show. It is. Yeah. We love reading everyone's emails. We love hearing from, our, we read all of them, whether or not they get read on the show. Right, we try exactly. to respond to some, but honestly, we just get so many. If you try to keep them short and sweet, you have a better chance of them getting put on the show. Right. So let us know what you want to hear. If you give us like long explanations for each song, it's just not going to get read on the show. Yeah, it's not going to flow well. It just doesn't work. So just keep that in mind. But we do love hearing from you guys. Write in. Let us know. I'm excited to see what they do. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Everyone go home. Be safe. Work on that growing up stuff that we talked about. That's right. I, got, your I, I still got to work on it myself. We all do, man. We all have to work on it. But take it to heart. We love you guys. See you next time. Peace. Adios. <laughs> If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that.